This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Oh, you got her, dude. She's down. Let's go. Dude, I just shot a deer of a lifetime. Freaking smoke team. One with nature, and if you're a believer, one with God. Definitely gets your heart pumping. Boy, you are in trouble. Fall Obsession Podcast. All right, guys, welcome back. Thanks for joining us for another week of our Fall Obsession Podcast. Excited for you guys to be tuning in with us again this week. I am Sam with Fall Obsession, your podcast host. Hope you guys have enjoyed some recent week's episodes. We've been talking to um, several hunters across the country about some of their own tactics and uh, whitetail management styles, if you will, in their respective areas. And we're kind of jumping back into that topic of conversation again this week with our guest. The season is upon us, so it's a, it's a good time to, to be talking about uh, some whitetail hunting and getting folks pumped up. I'm joined by our very own field staffer, Mr. Tyler Wolf, this week. Tyler, welcome to Fall Obsession Podcast. Yeah, thanks, Sam. Appreciate the opportunity to bring me on. Well, we're happy to have you on, man. I know we got uh, a lot of good stuff in store talking about some big whitetails in, uh, in your area this week. But before we get into our conversation, I want to give a quick shout out, as we have been doing, to our friends over at Elite Archery. We're uh, very happy to be partnered with a company like Elite for this year and running their bows as our, our primary setups. Um, I know I've been enjoying my cure from last year and looking forward to having a remedy in my hand this year. Um, really, really good bows, really high quality equipment. So if you guys haven't gone to your local dealer, um, go check them out, take the elite shootability challenge and see if they're right for you. Um, you got to get it in your hand yourself and, and see what you think for yourself and develop your own opinion. And that's all that elite wants. They're confident their equipment will do the rest. So be sure that you go check them out at your local dealer and at elitearchery.com. Well, Tyler, I'm going to kind of 
direct it over to you real quick, give you the opportunity to introduce yourself, maybe give a little background on yourself and your, uh, your whitetail hunting uh, outdoor experience. And then we'll get into today's conversation talking about some of the stuff that you're doing on, on your own property to, to grow big whitetails. Yeah, sounds great. Yeah, I mean, as as it kind of goes, I'm a Kansas man through and through, born and raised in the middle of Kansas. Um, stayed here pretty much my entire life thus far. Um, grew up a farm boy out in uh, what I'd call the near the uh, Flint Hills, but close enough to the plains where you could see some flatness. So really grew up in the upland hunting space dove migratory birds um obviously we have cheyenne bottoms near uh, where i grew up and so there's a lot of good migratory uh, waterfowl um in terms of that aspect of it in terms of whitetail you know my experience there is a little uh, more recent in my life you know i've moved out to big city of kansas city and um the upland game is not as dominant out here, so I transitioned to something to keep me outdoors, and that was that was whitetail. And as as, as all bow hunters know, bow hunting is is um, the best way to approach whitetail hunting. Not just because of the length of the season, but because of the intimacy that you get when you're out there hunting those uh, hunting those animals. So um, been doing that for better part of a decade, and uh, I'm now progressed into managing my own little herd uh, on a small little property so awesome so i we don't want anybody to give away their secrets or their specific locations or anything like that but um give us what information you're comfortable giving about just the the property and kind of the the dynamics of the land that you manage sure absolutely so it is in kansas um you know near near where i live obviously uh, within driving range so that's that's nice to help me get my hands on it more often than not um you know it's not some four hour drive away that i have to plan a weekend around um, so i can make quick trips out there whether that's you know a little upkeep or you know smaller tasks it's it's a a rolling property with a small water source and that side of the creek it's got a nice mix of conifers um and some pasture and i got some some uh, food plots in there as well so it's it's kind of a all-around mix it's it's not the largest property in the world but it's it's pretty diverse in terms of its habitat and um, it served me well honestly so it's a it's a good little spot that's awesome and i know we'll get into it more later but you you have a lot of pictures on on our social media lately that you've sent in of of some really really awesome looking whitetails out there so what whatever you're doing is working and and that's what we're gonna get into today with you so but i know i know you had mentioned when we were kind of pre-gaming right before we started you know how how being a comp- conservationist and having that mindset is is the priority that's what comes first for managing a successful whitetail herd do you want to elaborate a little bit more on that with as far as it goes for you yeah absolutely i mean and as we talked about you know one comes in front of the other right you know in order to be a good hunter especially on your own property or even you know on property that you manage um creating that habitat creating that wildlife habitat a diverse wildlife habitat is not just better for animals in general but it's better for your herd um so if you, if you put that 
conservationist element first and, and really protect the land, be a steward of the land, um, you will reap the rewards as a hunter. Um, and and you know, ultimately, we're out there to have fun hunting. Um, but I tell you what, that land steward stuff is pretty exciting as well. So just just a philosophy, I would say, from my perspective. And it's, it's not an un, uncommon one, right? It's, it's, it's relatively common across the hunting uh, world. But um, I like to adhere to it as much as possible. Absolutely. 100% agree. So as I already alluded to, you have a... a some really good genetics and some good deer um, that on your place that you're hunting. But where where did it all start? Have you always had a good caliber of whitetail, or has it been something you've had to work with uh, for a while now to establish? It is a naturally good spot. Um, I'll say that you know um, when you say, say for example, if you're buying a house, it's got good bones, right? Um, so this one definitely had good bones, um, and then just some minor tweaks here and there right directing traffic uh, with structure or trails uh, creating nice bedding areas creating a food source creating um i'll call the you know the, the main food source something that they could really dig into on a regular basis as well as the little treats you know here and there to kind of guide their paths uh, throughout your property and just bolstered it as much as possible and of course you know herd management right you got to make sure you have the nice mix between does and bucks and if you got bad genes in there you know find a buddy come in there and take out that buck so you don't run your tag right but uh you know just kind of being picky about what you do and and keeping a good eye on on the entire herd so but i'll go back to the beginning there i was really lucky because the place has good bones it's it's not surrounded by a lot of hunters it's not uh, surrounded by a lot of ag fields there is some but uh all in all it's just overall good habitat and i got a nice little chunk of it right in the middle very cool that's awesome so so talking a little bit more specifically about some of the stuff that that you've done this year or last year however far back you want to go what are specific things that you try to do on your property to to maintain or support the good genetics that you have and then also just to to keep the deer coming back to keep the deer keep the deer there where you want yeah. I'll start with the latter one that seems to be a bit easier and in terms of you know how you approach a property I like to have a five-year plan and so year one is, is more observation right maybe some low-hanging fruit in terms of improvement whether that's small timber stand improvement right clearing out some of those smaller trees letting the sun hit the ground a little bit create some of that natural forage uh, for the animals so they'll frequent your spot a little bit more um, creating natural yet protected travel corridors. Uh, I've made a number of those throughout the property so that deer can traverse through uh, while feeling secure doing it. I think that's, as we all know, you know, deer are you know naturally skittish animals, right? And um, if you can provide them any level of security, that's going to improve their their health and uh, as well as the, the frequency of their visits. Um, so security is always at the top of my mind when I'm creating whether openings or travel corridors, making sure that it's not just some opening that I'm, I'm, I'm creating. I'm, I'm giving them a nice path from A to B while feeling protected, maybe even have a, a back door out. Um, so that's that's one of the main things that I work on. And honestly, that's the hardest thing to work on because unless you've got a 
you know, skid steer with some amazing implements, you know, you're, you're in there with a chainsaw or, a, um, you know, a brush cutter getting to work. And, um, that's, but that's also one of the most rewarding parts of it. That's the first thing, you know, in terms of low hanging fruit, um, and also observations, right? I take diligent notes that first year, where am I seeing deer? I move cameras all over the place. I run about four on there now, but I, I move them around seeing where they're frequent, where they come in from, where they exit to, um, understanding what times they eat, when they don't eat, what they don't eat. Um, you just kind of record all that. And then year two is you expand upon your plan a little bit. You move beyond the low hanging fruit and move into a little more of a, a structured approach, whether that's more of a, a blocking uh, mechanism. Say for example, you know, we, we cut those trails early on but we still see some variation in their use of those trails. You can start putting blockers in, um, you know, something as rudimentary as a barbed wire fence, you know, to just encourage them to go one way or the other. And uh, while maintaining security, of course, so, but anyways, more, more concrete, more substantial adjustments to the property based upon your observations in year one. And then of course, it's an iterative at that point, right? You, you you take a project, you implement it, you monitor the results. If the results are satisfactory or what you expected, then good. You can keep you know piling on to that particular element of your property. If, if you don't get the results you want, maybe you pull back and try something different, right? So it's a it's a, it's a feedback loop at that point. You understand mm-hmm. what you accomplish and put something in place and test it out and measure it. Absolutely. Very cool. So at what you, you mentioned, uh, your five-year plan and everything, and you, you've gone through that, what, what stage are you, would you consider yourself at right now? Well, I had some early iterations, so I'd say I'm probably still in year one observation stage at this point. I'm not trying to extend my plan too long, but, um, I'll just say I have a vision and, and I probably shouldn't call it a five-year plan. Honestly, it's, it's a vision of where I want the property to be, but as you know, once you get into these things and, and, and you bring <laughs> outside factors such as uh, wildlife into it, right? You never know how it's going to progress. So um, I'm still I'm taking some more substantial moves in terms of uh, food plots. I'm expanding my my large food plot to get a little more around forage in there. Um, I'm carving some additional trails based upon the bedding that I've been seeing and the and trees and exits that I've been seeing. Um, but again, I'm still, still keeping it relatively light at this point. I'm not uh, making any, I'm not clearing any tree stands to, if I'll put it that way. Gotcha. So you, you mentioned that you're, you're working on your food plots and everything like that. What, what kind of stuff specifically are, are you planning and summer crops versus fall crops? What, what does that look like for you on your property? Yeah, I I maintain two small to medium-sized clover plots, and I pretty much run those year-round, right? They're they're established, um, they're frequented, and and then they're they're good good hunting spots, honestly. I I don't want to mess with those. They're they're just my year-round go-to clover plots. Um, On a larger plot, I run a combination of, you know, I'll do a grass 
during off seasons just to kind of build up my soil a little bit. And then in the fall, I'll do a, a blend that is it's kind of a, a buried release blend that will, you know, sprout early. It has Essentially, it has multiple different uh, seeds within it. Now they all germinate in, in different times to kind of give you this diverse time range of, of optimal food for the deer. It also maintains its their attractiveness to it after the hunting season so that once you're done, you've done major mess through the hunting season, you know, the deer will come back and start to again, enjoy your property as a, as a food source for them. Um, in terms of what I plant, I'm, I try everything. Uh, you know, like I said, I'm trying to fall release blend this year, but I've definitely tried some others, um, other blends, mostly blends, because I like to have the, the diversity in terms of the food source, because what's palatable at one point, you know, will not always remain that way. So soybeans, for example, right, they're going to kind of drop out of favor right around right here in Kansas. So um, I stay away from those, but I'll, I will use those early in the season for good forage. So. Gotcha. Very cool. So you, you've been talking about, you know, still being somewhat in that observatory stage um, with with where you're at with your own property and your, your whitetail herd. I, I wanted to get into a little bit on just some buck to doe ratios and st- kind of start that off by seeing maybe what your buck to doe ratio in, in your opinion is right now, because especially with smaller properties, I know that that can, that can change, that can kind of affect success year to year it's a little bit more difficult with smaller properties i don't know specifically how big your your land is but um what what can you tell us about the buck to doe ratio and how that affects hunting that's a great question um i think it does it affects the long-term viability of your of your genetics especially if you want to kind of um focus on you know a wall hanger right um I would say for me specifically, I, I probably got a little heavy on the on the buck side, just because I'm not getting um, enough replication of a specific genetic type that I want to I want to see in there. There's too much competition, or maybe too much opportunity. Yeah. Um, somebody else will sneak in there. Um, but you're absolutely right. You know, if you're too if you're too heavy on the does, obviously it's 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 difficult to you know, grow up a stud, right? Because you want to, you want to fill your tag every year. If you're too heavy on the bucks, you know, you get too much diversity in terms of the gene pool. Um, that's one of the things I'm focused on this year in Kansas. I'm, I'm sure you guys know you only get one buck tag, um, per person per year. So I'm, I'm literally buying my wife a crossbow and say, Hey, come out here and, and shoot this spike. Cause I want them out of my herd. Right. So, <laughs> but yeah, you, I mean, you have to constantly, I don't, I don't know a better way to, to do that other than what you got and um adjust accordingly based upon what you can find and i'm just in a tricky spot here because of the one tag thing my boys aren't in the hunt yet so i gotta get them going yeah i hear you (laughs) so right now what what do you what does your property look like for for shooter bucks and again i don't i don't want you to to give anything away you're not comfortable with but obviously that one buck tag you know that's all you got and if you have multiple mature bucks on there that i know that uh you got to pick and choose at that point but yeah right yeah i think in in october maybe early november i'll I'll be picky and choosy Uh, i might get less so (laughs) as the season goes (laughs) on 
you know how that goes. But uh, question, I think what I'll do is I'll pick out a few. I'll pick out a handful that that I'll I'll say, hey, your potentials, and and depending upon the timing and, and my, my mood at the time, you know, I might let an arrow fly, I may not. Um, I will look at potential, right? What where do I see this deer going? You know, are they a three and a half year old, a four and a half year old? I mean, even though a three and a half year old might have the, you know, the best set of horns out there, I'm not sure that, you know, he'll be at the top of my list this year because if he's got, you know, a couple more years of uh, growth to where he could really reach his potential, he might fall down the list. I'm not saying I won't throw an arrow at him, but, you know, uh, definitely consider that when I'm looking at him through the scope or not through the scope, obviously, but through the, uh, the bow right so when the rut rolls around you're talking about having a a more buck heavy buck to doe ratio it seems when the rut rolls around how does that change or does it uh it does a little bit because obviously you have a little more travel right there's uh folks are going to start venturing around and you know where they traveled prior to that you never really know if they're going to show up or not so as you know, right, rut's about just, you know, getting your butt in the stand and, and staying there uh, for as long as possible. Um, but it's a fine balance. You're right. You know, how, how do you optimize your opportunity for that for that shooter, the one you want, uh, versus, you know, walking away or nearing the end of your season and, and still have yet to fill a tag? So that's why I'll definitely have a list of five or so, and I'll just prioritize them and, and based upon the opportunities I get. You know, as, a, as the season progresses, I'll, I'll make that decision, but definitely going to be a game time decision. Yeah. Maybe some new guy shows up. You never know. Yeah, that's true. So going, going back a little bit just to the, to, you know, you're talking about making that list and, and prioritizing your deer when you only have one buck tag yourself to work with. Um, in your opinion, what is, a shooter buck because different people different places say different things um you know some people say a deer with certain qualities at four and a half could be or you need to wait till five and a half in your opinion what makes a shooter buck that's a great question um you know i'd like to say that any any, any buck that puts meat on the table is a shooter for me but that's just not the way i am that's not the way i'm geared and, and a lot of us aren't right right um, so if I'm looking at that and I want to maximize potential, I would say probably four and a half would be a bare minimum for me. Um, but then again, if I've got a you know handful of three and a halfers, all three of them with great potential, I'll probably knock out the smallest one, right? The, the one that doesn't have the best potential and, and let those other two expand into four and a half year territory. Um, something that I would be proud enough to put on a wall. I think that's kind of where I, uh, you know, justify the, the, uh, the size and the scope there, but I would say four and a half is kind of where I would draw that line. Gotcha. Yeah. And I know, I know it comes into effect too, just, just where you're at and what you have. You, as you mentioned, have a very unique situation and, and you have, you have good genetics, you have good deer and, you're you have the ability to be able to pick and choose whereas some guys out there you know it it might be you know they might not just have that option it it might be more of a of a meat on the table type stance and and that's not a that's not a bad stance to have i I don't want to be an advocate for shooting 
young or baby deer or anything like that but you know there there's plenty of meat hunters out there and that's that's ultimately a a big reason that we do this but uh when you have big deer it's nice to be able to have that true management mindset of being able to to keep those genetics to the best quality they can possibly be so yeah absolutely i mean i've hunted public land and i i I get it you know if you see a you know a good size eight roll through on public and it's it's hard not to say that's a shooter right Mm -hmm. so any memorable um bucks or in particular or hunts in particular out on on your place in recent seasons I have, I have a couple of bucks that are just really unique. One uh, called Turkey Foot, and he's actually got, uh, I guess, uh, somebody in the genetic line out there that also has the same kind of antlers. But on the right side, it's a, it's just a, a little tripod of, of antlers. It's it's very interesting. It's um, something I've, I've watched him grow up. And it's really interesting to see the diversity in his antlers. <laughs> so that's that's a, that's a kind of a fun story for me. And then another one, again, another duplicate out there, but he's got this unicorn on the on the left side, kind of prodding off in the front, which you wouldn't think would be genetic, but you know, sure as heck, there's there's a couple of them out there. One's a little bit smaller than the other one, but that little uh, third horn coming out the coming out the front there is, is very interesting and it's somebody i'd like to see on the wall someday uh, let's say turkey foot and a unicorn are probably at the top of my list right now but we'll see um we'll see how they keep expanding in terms of the that antler uniqueness um what about any kind any hunts that you've had out there any deer you've taken in the past yeah there's you know there's one it's 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 a it's a bittersweet story um, I did a lot of prep work, scouting, um, and I got, you know, kind of waited my time. I, I essentially left the, left the property pretty pretty barren for, you know, a month and a half to, to reduce my footprint in there, right, reduce my smell. And I, and I set aside a weekend. I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit it hard this weekend. And I rolled out there, you know, after a month and a half of not hunting, letting the place kind of simmer. And I had a couple, you know, good good sized bucks that were on my list, and I was hoping to see them obviously that weekend. But I rolled out there, and about 20 minutes after daylight, brand new, never before seen uh, buck with a nice nice little drop tine rolls through me, just munching on acorns, uh, and uh, uh, and I let it fly, and I, and I and I got them, which is again, you know, as you know, right when you feel your tag the your last tag you're, you're kind of bittersweet there and not to mention it was it was one that i had never seen before so as we talked about earlier right you know bucks travel during the rut this guy definitely did and came into my spot at the wrong time uh, very little story though he uh in terms of how that hunt went down again you know he was about 25 yards away much on acorns had it didn't know a thing was coming guarded him right good shot right in the lungs at least it, Obviously, it feels that way, right? It's in the rush of the moment. It's hard to know without a camera to go back and replay. But um, he he ran forward about 50 yards, stopped, looked around a little bit, and then fell. And um, of course, I felt great, right? You know, at that point, I'm, I'm pumping the pumping the air, and it's it's a it's a great great experience. 
um, about five minutes later, I'm just sitting up there, you know, after texting the wife saying, hey, I got one. Uh, I see him get up and he starts walking off and I just go into absolute freak out mode, right? I'm like, oh no, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe I hit him too far back. Maybe, maybe I missed him or whatever the case is. So I, uh, uh, I tiptoed around for about five minutes and then I just said, you know, I'm going to pull out. And I, I, I went out, you know, had some breakfast, hung around for about five, six hours just nervous as all heck, right? You know how you get in those situations mm-hmm. where you just, you know, you're fearing for the worst but hoping for the best. Eventually went back out there, slowly retraced my steps and uh, getting prepared for a long, you know, blood trail or a difficult one, uh, needless to say. And I rolled through and got to about where he had stood back up and sure as heck, he was about five feet away. He, he, started walking but couldn't make another five feet so i I was worried sick for about a half a day for no reason Uh, if i just looked a little bit harder uh, before i bailed on the place that would have been a been a better day for me but it ended up being great anyways yeah man yeah that that is a sickening feeling right there i I know (laughs) most of us have been there to to not know and you know it just yeah the the unknown kills you (laughs) it does it does Uh, makes you want to start drinking at 8 30 in the morning <laughs> <laughs> one of the few things that can i guess <laughs> well tyler i really appreciate everything that you've gone into and, and talked about with your unique situation out there in kansas um a really cool property that you're you're doing good things with and and managing some good deer so um been happy hearing about that and and some of the some of the stuff that you're doing out there one other thing I wanted to hit on, though, um, kind of related, kind of going to a little bit different topic. You, you've you written a few articles now for, for us and fallobsession.com, but that is not, that does by no means make up your experience as an outdoor educational writer, basically. You want to talk a little bit about... Um, just kind of your experience in, in that world and, and where people might be able to go to find some of your articles. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks for bringing that up. I, uh, you know, it's not my, it's not my day job, obviously. I work in the business world. Um, and so you know, obviously I'm a passionate outdoors writer that, uh, or passionate outdoorsman that, uh, loves to, loves to share it with others as, as well as my other talents. And one of those talents obviously being writing, um, uh, and so difficult to get started, obviously, in that space, especially if you don't have any experience uh, being an outdoors writer. But I was able to get in a few spots. I think my first article was uh, post published at bowhunting.com. Uh, Rose Fisher reached out and gave me a chance. I wrote a couple articles on spec, and he, and he took some uh, and posted them. And then, obviously, we expanded it and now written some fall obsession. So it's a, it's a rewarding experience because – you know, as much as we know as hunters, when you when you really put it down on paper, it, it shows you the lack of, of in-depth understanding of, of the different elements that that uh, are involved in, in the outdoor world. So it's it's really broadened my horizons on that sense, and I hope you know through my writing I was able to do that for others as well. So um, it's been rewarding for me, that's for sure. That's awesome. 
Well, again, we we definitely appreciate you you writing for Fall Obsession in that capacity, and and having some. We're proud to have some of your articles on our website. They're they're top notch. They're very well written. Obviously, if you know with the experience and where you've been writing for before and everything. So, um, a couple that our folks can go check out that I know are on there. Um, you did write one back in May or, or sent it to us on approaching a recreational land purchase that is on our website, fallobsession.com. And then you also wrote one for us, um, as it's relevant to turkey hunting and kind of talking about some turkey hunting numbers and results from this previous uh, spring season. So both of those are great articles that I encourage you, uh, you guys go check out and you're also working on a kind of a collaboration. My understanding is with some of our other staffers on just uh whitetail hunting in the Midwest. And I'm looking forward to see where that goes. So. Yeah, it should be a very good educational piece. I think there's a lot of good information, a lot of broad diversity of hunters, right. That are going to be contributing to this one. So I'm heck yeah, I'm looking forward to reading it. Well, man, before I cut you loose, this is your first time uh, joining us on our Fall Obsession podcast, and we got a couple questions that we like to hit our first-time guests with, if if you're good to do that before we hang it up. Absolutely. So the first one is, what is your favorite or most memorable hunting memory? And tell us a little bit about it. Well, this is going to be old school here, but, uh, you know, like I said, I grew up upland hunting out in uh, central Kansas and uh, my brother and I didn't have shotguns at the time all we had was BB guns but uh, through those BB guns and a combined effort we were able to snag a dove out of a tree which (laughs) I don't know if it was luck or or what but that was a a fun time for both of us little boys out there just you know sitting in the grass pumping those BB guns over and over and over just we probably threw 30 BBs at that thing but (laughs) that's awesome all right next question everybody has uh, a bucket list there's always sometimes the same sometimes different things on uh, different folks bucket list but what is your top bucket list hunt that you have not gotten to do yet i think the one that i'm looking forward to um the most and i'm actually trying to work on it now which which is a canada black bear hunt um just because I, I think they're they're gorgeous animals, and I'd actually written a couple articles on those black bears. I think they would be uh, something amazing to have, you know, on my on my uh, resume, my hunting resume. So, yeah, I'm sure there's better ones, bigger and better ones, but uh, that's the one that's at the front of my mind right now. That's awesome. That would be an incredible experience for sure. Yeah. All right. Third and final question, and then we'll wrap it up. Um, I'm I'm going to ask this as it's relevant to me because this year is my my first year managing uh, a new or being a part of the management I guess I should say uh, myself and our media production manager Nick are both on the piece but um, being part of the management on a brand new property our first year hunting it it's anybody's first year hunting it it is it's raw land if you have one big piece of advice to give to somebody who is just starting out to manage a new property, what would that piece of advice be? The major one, which is one I kind of touched on earlier, is to know when to leave it alone. Um, you know, change might look better to us, but it looks different to the deer, right? So you know, be careful in what you do, 
observe before you move, I guess would be my, my big piece of advice. Make sure that first year is just taking lots of notes, you know, taking lots of pictures, videos, observing what you can, and then, and then develop a, a plan and, and keep those changes small until you have a good understanding of what the effect is going to be. That'd be my advice. Excellent. Much appreciated. Well, man, thank you for coming on the podcast this week and joining us. I've enjoyed talking to you. And like I said earlier, hearing about uh, the good stuff you're doing up there in Kansas. Thanks for coming on. Likewise. Thanks for having me. Happy to have you. Guys, thank you all for listening. Appreciate everybody tuning in. If you have not already, hit that follow and subscribe button on whatever podcast app you are listening to this podcast on. We are on all major podcast platforms, and we are launching a new episode every single week on Monday mornings. So be sure you got your notifications turned on. That way you get notified every time we drop a new one. FallUpSession.com is our hub. That's our website where you guys can go to find all of our content, uh, the educational articles, and uh, plenty of those, not just from Tyler, but from all of our staff um, that we mentioned earlier on there, as well as wild game recipes, video series, product and gear reviews, endorsements, that kind of stuff, um, and a lot more. So be sure you go to FallUpSession.com and check all that out. Um, our podcast page on that website also has a form on it that you guys can fill out if you want to send us some feedback on our podcast. Um, we much appreciate it. Or if you are interested in uh, being a part of our podcast, either as a guest or a partner, uh, be sure that you reach, reach out to us through that page as well. And then finally, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, those are the socials. Go like and uh, follow and subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. We got daily new content on all of those pages uh, relative to hunting in the outdoors and our experiences and some stuff that should be relevant to you guys as well. So go check us out. Tyler, thanks again, man. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. All right, guys. Thank you all for listening, and we will be back with you all again next week for another Fall Obsession podcast episode. We'll catch you all then.